Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I want to tell you about the Ringers Gambling Podcast. It is called Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, and you're not going to believe this, but it is hosted by Cousin Sal, the biggest degenerate gambler that I know. He's such a degenerate. He has three other degenerates that he calls the degenerate trifecta. And they break down every conceivable gambling thing you would ever want to gamble on. They even take you to Captain Morgan's make-believe casino, where Sal makes up props on, on all kinds of things, sports, pop culture, you name it. You are going to want to get your gambling advice from these guys. Cousin Sal, he's been a staple on the BS podcast for the last 10 years. So good that we gave him his own podcast. Check it out, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined today by Robert Mays. Robert, Week 11 is happening. We saw all sorts of sky cam action on Thursday night. I don't understand any of the backlash. I mean, there was a little bit of backlash just because there was sort of a, a, a fear of new things. Yeah, um, people are like, it's, I mean, there's a couple people I was talking to on Twitter, like Charles McDonald, like it's not wide enough. I was like, I don't need to see both receivers come off the line. I'd rather see one receiver or two the whole play. Because you can't see anything downfield in the broadcast cam. So I'd rather just have it on Antonio Brown's side at all times. Like an Antonio Brown cam plus being able to see the linemen. Like, this yeah. is my dream. This is all I've yeah. ever wanted in the world. So a couple things. Number one, I did not know I could get that much anxiety watching a like a floating pass. The first pick was just such I, a, was a horror it, show. It just goes up and you're just like, no, yep. first of all, passes look worse. I would say I would say the running plays look more impressive because you see sort of the the symphony of it all. Oh, see, I disagree. And I think the the bad passes look worse, but to see the pro, like just the precision with which they can place the ball on some of these throws, that's incredible to me. And when you see it yeah. in the all twenty two, when you look back at that, but it's to, to be able to see it all happen in a wide frame is amazing because the throws that I've always enjoyed watching when I go back and watch games, are from the end zone view in the middle of the field. But even that is, you don't see the whole thing. So being able to see it all develop and then being able to just like place balls all over the field is just incredible. Yeah, it's it's something that, so essentially an NFL executive a couple of years ago told me that the future of football and football viewing is customization. So Ooh, yeah. essentially you'll be able to choose what you want to see. And so sounds great. I don't think that there'll be a situation where we're going to have Skycam 24-7 as the dominant view. I think you're going to see it as an option on... I mean, I think I think it's the... You know, ESPN has done those sort of things where it's a national championship game and they have like, you know, Tebow cam or whatever, you know, coaches cam, whatever it is. And so I just think that it, the NFL will eventually have that and Skycam will be an option. Yeah, that sounds great to me. I don't, I'm so excited for that day. I'm very into it. I mean, no, I'm just going to give you an educated guess. Having spent some time around the NFL, they're going to wait. They're going to develop the technology and they're going to wait like three years until someone gives them a hundred million dollars for the, to, for their rights to sponsor it. <laughs> Skycam brought to you by Subway or yeah. something like no, that's, that. That's yeah. the life cycle. I don't want to get too inside baseball here, but that's the life cycle of NFL technology is they develop it like three years before it comes out. And then they're just like, well, we're going to wait to sell it to FedEx or something. Great. They do that. They that do, that's what I'm that, really interested that, that in. That was sort of the delay with the next gen stats thing, which was which was done years ago. But they didn't bring it out because nobody would pay them enough money. 
they still don't have enough, enough next gen stats. Like it's not that useful. There's a couple of them that are like, okay, I guess that's interesting, but it's not even close to like what I'd actually want. I wrote a whole story about it a year and a half ago. Everyone should read it. It's called the Football's Brewing Information War on the radio. Yeah, it was right before the season started. Hell yeah. Okay. We occasionally do write things. This happens. I, I don't write new. I just do slow news day and the podcast. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that now. Even though I write two stories a week, that's not that's not me. <laughs> do you want to talk about this game at all? Um, Outside of how it was broadcast? I mean, what, what is there to say? Mike the Malarkey. The Steelers looked awesome. Well, no, no. I, I'm going to go from the other side of here. Uh, I'm going to bring up a point that I brought up last week, which is Mike Malarkey was hired in large part to protect Marcus Mariota, and Marcus Mariota is taking really some vicious hits. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what they do. It feels like Mike Malarkey might not be the coach for this team. Like the right coach. I would like to see someone else work with this collection of players because I enjoy the collection of players. I like John Robinson's work. Yeah, but John Robinson's one decided to keep Mike Malarkey. Yeah, I, I we sure about that, though. Yeah, it was ownership and all that yeah. stuff. I, I, th- there's a lot of things that went into it, but I, I just think generally it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Having said that, they're in the AFC South and they could easily make the playoffs. Yeah, but they're the, I think they're the second best team in that conference. I mean, think that he's no, going to make agree. the playoffs, but it doesn't, they're not going to do much. Not this version of this team. I feel like I, I tweeted this last night. I, I certainly believe it. Pittsburgh, if they can get home field advantage, becomes terrifying because they really do look like a different team on the road. I mean, it just is so different watching that offense when they can audible and they're just in such cruise control mode and watching them last night. It was just like, man, they can, if this version of the Steelers offense shows up, oof. Because the defense is still real good. Cam Hayward was a monster last night. So, do you think that the we had the discussion at the beginning of the year? You picked the Steelers to make the Super Bowl. Is that correct? I did. Yes. Uh, how are you feeling about that? I feel pretty good about yeah. it. Best I team, mean, best, best team in the AFC right now. I think so. Yeah, I, I just feel like they're the most complete team. You know, even though their offense is kind of sputtered at points, and we talked about how Roethlisberger has held them back. I mean, it's still a top ten offense by pretty much every single advanced metric you want to look at. And then the defense is better than that. <laughs> the defense is, I believe, third in defensive DVOA coming into last, yeah, last night, and they're not going away. There they and Philly's right there too. I think Philly's a little further down on defense, but we got a couple teams that are top five, top six, top seven in both categories, and they're the ones that I think are the most dangerous. I mean, obviously that seems plain, but I'd rather have that than this team like New England that's such a dominant offense, and then we still have questions about the defense. There are a lot of well-rounded contenders this year, which was is the opposite of what happened last season. So it's kind of interesting. Someone tweeted us last night that they thought that. The Steelers, at least at halftime, may have had the conversation with Roethlisberger about not going deep anymore. Like the, the conversation that we had last week on the pod, where we we're just like, Roethlisberger, why don't you just take what the defense gives you for the first time I in mean, your career? I mean, there was some of that, but he also chucked it a few times. No, I, I know. mean, it's Ben Roethlisberger. He's wired a certain way. Did you way. see um, the NFL Network tweeted this out? Do you know what Ben Roethlisberger's completion percentage on passes over 20 yards is? I'm sure it's just abysmal. So last year it was over 40%. This year it's 26%. Last year, <laughs> last year on, on passes over 20, 20 yards, you, you'll enjoy this. Uh, his touchdown interception ratio last year was 14 to 3. This year it's 2 to 5. Yeah, that's not great. I'm going to, I've got some notes for you, Ben. So Antonio Brown was also ridiculous yeah, last night. Really which good. That, it 
I know we we can say that every single week, but we're starting to get to a point where we should have some conversations. And I, I was again, I was having this kind, of, I was having that conversation in the digital world last night a little bit, just about where he kind of sits. So right now he's on pace for sixteen hundred and forty one yards again. He's going to catch a hundred passes easily. Where does Antonio Brown start to fit here among like receivers in the post Jerry Rice world? No. Oh. First of all, it's a. It's a tough situation. It's really, really tough. And there's a reason that wide receivers are underrepresented in the Hall of Fame. It's because everybody gets uncomfortable because it's it's a lot of it's quarterback dependent. And then everyone just yes. gets, gets very gets situational, very lazy. There's a lot of lazy analysis around around wide receivers. Um, and I think that like I think Cameron was something Scott Casmer or something we were talking about last night said he compared Antonio Brown to Marvin Harrison, which I think is unfair. Like I think Antonio Brown is a much better player than Marvin Harrison was even at his peak. You, you look at Marvin Harrison's numbers and they're incredible. But Marvin Harrison played with Peyton Manning when Peyton Manning was Peyton fucking Manning. Like, I, that's just really hard for me. Antonio Brown, Ben Rosberg is a fine quarterback. Antonio Brown is the best receiver in the league and, like, kind of comfortably is right now. And he has been that way for a couple of years. I still feel like if I was drafting a team, I'd pick Julio first. But it's, I don't know, maybe that's just, like, small guy bias. Like, Antonio Brown's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I feel like you're underrated. I'm looking at your list now. You have Andre Johnson at seven. I love Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson, I think, is the most underrated receiver of the past 25 years. Inclu- this is like a personal Robert by Crusade. you. Well, who else? Who, who do you think you should know. be ahead of? I don't know. On that list? That's a I mean, tough, I just, tough I just, man. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's exactly what we're saying, which is it's really hard to gate to separate the quarterback from wide receiver or whatever. But, I mean, Andre Johnson had back-to-back 1,500-yard seasons. He had three 1,500-yard seasons in his career. Four 1,400-yard seasons. Listen, and, you don't have to sell me on Andre Johnson, no, but, but who I mean, would you put he, him ahead of on I, that list? I mean, with the exception of, of Larry Fitz, I mean, a lot of these guys played with really great quarterbacks. T.O. played on like six teams. He yeah. was always good. T.O. played with good, better quarterbacks than Andre Johnson. That's fair, but I still, I, I think I'd still rather have Terrell Owens. I mean, it's, it's really close. To me, Like, I think my top four is where I feel really good. And then after that, I get a little queasy. So it's Randy Moss, and then I put an ellipses like in six spaces because who cares? It's Randy Moss. Don't talk to me. And then Calvin Johnson, Julio, Antonio Brown. I just feel like those four I feel really good about. After that, it just becomes kind of tight. And the reasons I did the reason I did eight players is just because there was no reason to not throw those names out there just because people go, well, who, what about this and the guy? So I, it's tough. Like I did eight. I probably could have done 10. I probably could have done five. It's just a very naughty conversation, which is why it's worth having. I would write about it, but I already wrote about it last year. <laughs> Who's your number nine? I don't know. I did. I didn't go that far. I ran out of space, even with 280 characters. Really? Are you, the first, person who's, are you the first person who's done that? I think so. <laughs> wow. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't think I did. I think I just didn't know who would be nine, and nine felt like a less round list than eight. If you're gonna yeah. do nine, you might as well do ten. That's my not, thought. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking at the list here. It's not. I don't see anybody who just who who sticks AJ out. Green. Yeah, AJ Green. I mean, that's probably I mean, the answer. Far, far below that would be Des Bryant. Um, DeAndre Hopkins has a chance in a couple of years, but Ooh, I love DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, you can give him five years. Maybe he's uh Maybe he's somehow jumping Andre Johnson in your list. I mean, the fact that Antonio Brown is now in his sixth straight season of he's going to get 1284 last year, which he missed a game, and Roethlisberger wasn't that good last year. So it's 1499, 1698, 1834, 1284, and we're going to be at 1600 again. That's patently absurd. 
Like it's just it's the best run any receiver's ever been on, except like one guy. And hey, he, we we don't mention him in this conversation. I'm looking at this list, this this sort of modern day receivers list, and I just want to point out, and this is just a Jarvis Landry thing right now. Do you know that he's first first in receptions right now? Or in what? like sixteenth in yards? No, like thirty sixth in yards. Yeah, and going into last week, he was. Yeah, it's the, that, I don't, that, that, that doesn't count. That, What's going on there? That, that doesn't count. What's Jarvis going Landry on? There? Cannot be involved in these conversations. No, no, no. He's not. I'm, this is just a completely separate. No, I know it's weird. I'm just saying, like Jarvis Landry's stats are fake. <laughs> they they well, don't he exist. Is, he is literally. He, he is what we're talking about when we talk about well, like how NFL offenses got so insanely boring. Yeah. Even though Jarvis Landry can be an incredibly interesting player on the field and he certainly makes plays, but like you can't just catch the ball and go six yards. Yeah. Cause that's not what Antonio Brown does. I think that is the important distinction here. That's a long run at that point. Yeah. That's pretty much what they're doing. It's not fun. No, nothing about what the dolphins are is fun. I'm not having a good time watching the dolphins. No one is. What else are we talking about today? Let's uh, let's actually get to week 11. Right. Which is what this podcast week is supposed 11. To be about. Danny Kelly will be joining us yes, to get okay. you some fantasy football advice. We'll be going through the games this week. And we're going to get first to our favorite four matchups of this weekend. Robert, we're going to start with the, the Jeff Fisher Bowl. Let's do this. Case Keenum hosts Jared Goff. These are two teams literally going for the bye in the playoffs. It's amazing. What what do you see? I mean, I'm I'm excited for this. I'm legitimately excited for this game because one of the things we have to do as football observers is we have to realize a new reality, right? Okay, so so you know, Falcons Seahawks on Monday night. We will watch that game. It's an interesting group of players or whatever, but we just we can't do the old world thing of like, okay, this is the matchup we want to see. We have to realize the marquee matchups now, midway through the 2017 season, it's Vikings Rams. Let's be clear. I'm Saints. most excited to watch Vikings Rams. This is no, not an obligation. I'm just saying, I'm as America, as America, we need to okay. start looking at this. Yeah, I'm weird. Because I, I think, that. I think that you know, they, they didn't even well, they didn't flex Rams Saints into Sunday night, which is infuriating. We need as a, as a country to realize that these are the marquee matchups. Yeah, it's great. It's really exciting. I so the Packers. Aaron Rodgers is not walking through that door. I know, which just makes me sad, but. So Rams Vikings, obviously the Vikings offense is playing better than anyone expected. They're sticking with Keenum because Everson Griffin said last week, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, which is a really weird thing to say about an offense led by Case Keenum, but it is correct. So that, that side of the ball is, it's a clash between two really good units, but it doesn't interest me as much as the other one does. And I think that's just for the simple reason that the Rams offense is in like the most fascinating part of this entire equation. Yeah. And I've always loved the Vikings defense. And even though Pat Shermer has done a fine job this season, Sean McVay against Mike Zimmer is more interesting to me than Pat Shermer against Wade Phillips, which, you know, mostly because Pat Shermer's involved again, he's done fine, but what, how the Rams are going to, or how the Vikings are going to handle all that play action from the Rams, all that, you know, kind of wonky stuff that they do. Very curious to see how much Minnesota blitzes in this game. Because they do so at a pretty decent clip in most seasons. But what they're really good at is timing blitzes. It's like how we, we, I had to talk about this Lombardi a couple weeks ago. 
we celebrate and champion offensive play callers as these yeah. masterminds, yeah. but we never celebrate a defensive coordinator for a good call. And that's what you see with Minnesota so many, so often is that they blitz at the right times. They blitz the right guys. So when they do bring pressure, they usually get there. So I'll be really curious to see if they can bother Goff because he hasn't been pressured that much this year. I think it's maybe the fifth or sixth least in the league, but his accuracy percentage drops precipitously. So if they can get to him, that's the most important thing. And I'm just curious to see how they're going to try. So it's interesting to me. I think defensive coordinators are judged more on the body of their work. Yes, that's it's true. Not, it's never like, oh, look at this specific play call. Look at look at their bread Correct. and butter play. I think it's just. But there still are those. We just don't notice them. No, right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I think that generally people look at it and they just say, OK, this guy built this defense. He's a good defensive coordinator. It's not about the specific calls. It's very almost, it's very statistical based in, in that regard, whereas offensive coordinators. It's more about the intricacies of the design. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's interesting how we view it. I, I think that, you know, I, I think that generally offensive coordinators are are godded up more than defensive coordinators, even though I think it's unfair. I think uh, I think it was, it was either Bill Walsh or Don Coriel had that whole thing about how you should always hire a offensive coach to be the head coach because they're always on offense and the, and the defensive coordinators are never dictating anything. And I, I think that that has shaded and that that thought process has shaded um, the way we think about football, which is kind of I, I totally agree with that, which is kind of funny watching the, the Vikings this year. Yeah, because you have Mike Zimmer, who is like the most crotchety defensive man in the world. Yeah. Like Mike, Mike Zimmer is an NFL defensive coordinator. He is like what you would build in a lab but the way he speaks, what he talks about everything. And he, he does coordinate that defense. Let's be clear. Oh, yeah. And then. Pat Shermer is now like slinging it all over the yard with Case Keenum. Like they love pushing the ball down the field. And it's kind of like, this is a weird combination of stuff going on, but it makes for a very entertaining product. Pat Shermer being an awesome offensive coordinator. And like Mike Zimmer being like, yeah, Pat, just let it go. Let especially, it fly, baby. especially, I mean, I don't know. I mean, North Turner quit because if everything is to be believed, Mike Zimmer was a little bit bossy there. So is, is, is Zimmer giving input into this offense? I don't think so. I think he's just letting it exist. I mean, that, that's what I'm saying, is that he's not No, no, I know, I know, but I, I wonder... Be, but it's, it's not obvious that he is. I don't know. That's the question to me, because, I mean, it was only a year ago, Turner was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> can I give? Can I drop a nugget on Pat Shermer? Sure. A, cu- a couple of years ago, I was in a press box, and Pat Shermer made a joke. We, we'd known each other for a little bit. Like we, I'd interviewed him a bunch. He made a joke about how many donuts I was eating. And I was I was a heavy man, and so I uh, went home and started running, and I lost sixty pounds. Pat Shermer is the one that inspired you to get healthy. Yeah. Wow, that's great. That's not as good. Like that's much better than my story about the same thing. So good for you. I'm glad you can. He, it out I, there. he didn't mean it. I've never. I I I have never you talked never to him about against it. him. I'm ne- he didn't. He was just joking. Yeah, of course. But I, I, was, that. I just looked at myself. I was like, this isn't. This is but you, you don't want to be the butt of a joke as a human being. Yeah, I mean, this thing was like I got a second on. He's like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. And I, he may have not. It may have not even been. I wasn't even that. I wasn't like obese. No, I understand that. But I just needed to start running, and so I started running. I uh, this remind that reminds me of the Thirty Rock episode where Liz is eating the cookie after giving blood. Jack's like, you eating a cookie in the middle of the day? I gave blood. He goes, does that burn calories? <laughs> oh, middle of the day pastries are always a big thing for me. I'm a big fan. Um, yeah, that happened in Press Box in Philadelphia. That's great. Four years ago, three years ago. The one other football thing I want to mention before we move on is that uh, LaMarcus Joyner's hurt. 
Um, so he's missed the last two practices with a hip. And I think that that could come into play just in terms of what we see from the Vikings offense. I mean, if they're wanting to push the ball on the field, losing probably the best player in your secondary and safety is maybe problematic. Just, just, just throwing it out there. It's Not suggestion. good. Okay. Yeah. Next game. Eagles at Cowboys. Who boy. Uh, Eagles have the highest pressure rate in the NFL. Shocking. They have. <laughs> <laughs> Who could have predicted that the Eagles defensive line would be very good? I think the interesting thing is, and I wrote this on the ringer.com on Friday, which is this isn't, you know, the Cowboys have kind of an easy stretch coming up after this game. They have the Giants, they have the Chargers. You know, this is not a must win game for them. And the NFC wildcard race is not such that, you know, a team's going to run away and hide and the, and the Cowboys aren't going to be ca- catch them. I mean, if they, I don't know, man. Okay. They better start piling up some no, wins. No, like, no, no, no. seems to win every week against whoever they're playing. That's it makes not, no sense. That's not. But what I'm saying is it's not such a concern that if they lose this week, I'm I'm ready to bury them. Here's the actual panic-inducing situation. The Cowboys need to learn how to exist when they don't. They need to learn how to make adjustments, simple adjustments. They don't have Zeke Elliott anymore. They currently don't have Tyron Smith. Like, learn how to coach Jason Garrett. So we'll get to the Tyron Smith thing. The Zeke Elliott thing is a problem, and I feel like that's going to be a problem for the rest of the season. What I'm more worried about, I mean, we talk about Zeke and Tyron Smith all the time. The guy they're going to miss the most in this game is Sean Lee. Like Sean Lee just being plucked out of that line. I know they've been played without Sean Lee a lot in recent years, but he was healthy all season last year. Their defense is markedly better when he's in the game. And that Eagles offense is a pain in the ass. <laughs> like That is a really tough thing to deal with. So the fact that they're going to have to go in there and not have not only their defensive play caller, but the guy who puts their guys in the correct situations, that is awful. I mean, it just seems like this is the type of game where Zach Ertz couldn't eat in the middle of the field. I mean, I feel like that's the way that they're going to try to attack this team is to just say, Anthony Hitchens is going to lose this game for you. Uh, it just feels like that's where Philly is as a game planning team and a staff. They're going to see what you do poorly and they're just going to go after it. And I think that's where Dallas is weakest right now. So I I have been less critical of Garrett than our colleague Mike Lombardi who refers <laughs> to <say>. him <laughs> as the clapper, the clapper because he claps. It's not just that he claps. It's that Mike is of the opinion that Jason Garrett does not do anything else outside of the clapping. Is that do we have any evidence that he does do something? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's Mike's stance. I'm not disagreeing with him. I'm saying that he might be correct because it appeared that um, Jason Garrett had no idea what was going on with his team if you just looked at the, at the game plan on Sunday against the Falcons. That's all. I just, I just didn't, I, I did not enjoy that coaching performance by the Dallas Cowboys coaching staff. I did not either. And it feels like this is going to be, it'll be a week where they're going to need to do a lot of things differently. Again, we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. But the one thing I want to watch for in this game that's just kind of a little bit nerdier is that Demarcus Lawrence lines up on the left side of the defense. So yeah. he's going to go against Lane Johnson all day. So the Eagles are, excuse me, the Cowboys are less set up to take advantage of where the Eagles are weak on their offensive line, which is a problem. And again, it's going to be very fun to watch, but it's maybe going to be a stalemate. And that's an issue for Dallas. Like when DeMarcus Lawrence has been dominating games is when they've been a really solid defense. And if Blaine Johnson's going to go there and blank him, that's going to be an issue. Yeah, I agree. I mean, do you think that this Eagles line, even without Peters, is sort of Super Bowl caliber? Absolutely, I do. I think they've done a really good job of helping Vitae out. And against the run, they still have... 
ridiculous. Did you see team. Jason Kelsey is having the best run blocking season in the last decade? He's he looks awesome this year, and it's the way they use them, and that's the coolest part about watching this team in the run game is that it's not just that they have these mauling offensive linemen. I mean, I think that if you watch Dallas, right, the Cowboys offensive line when they're at their best is just a zone blocking offensive line. They work extremely well together. They really rely on the individual talents because they'll just use Frederick and Smith as these kind of unique standalone pieces. So most teams, this is going to get really nerdy for a second. So most teams, when you run inside zone or outside zone, you're going to combo block individual defensive linemen up to linebackers. So you're going to double team for a very short second or how long it takes and then move to the second level. Dallas at times doesn't even need to do that because Frederick can block guys one gap over by himself. So that just lets Zach Martin go right up to the linebacker or Ronald Leary, whoever it was. And that's just ridiculous. I mean, it puts you at such an advantage when you have to spend no time on one down lineman. So Philly doesn't do that's not how Philly exists. Philly uses the mobility of their linemen, not the individual like technical strengths. So they'll use Kelsey to pull and it just creates angles that most offensive lines can't build for themselves because their linemen don't move that well. So it's fascinating just on, like it's such a perfect marriage between personnel and scheme. And I think you can say that about the Eagles in like 10 different ways this year. Doug Peterson, coach of the year. I don't know. I'm still I'm still riding the Sean McVay train pretty hard. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, obviously it depends on the, on the rest of the season. If, if, if the Eagles go like 15 and one. Yes, Peterson is going to win it. But I still feel like Sean McVay has done the most impressive job. I stand by this. God. What a fucking season. It's great, man. I've, I've totally come around on it. I'm, I'm taking a total 180. I'm loving You're in? this. I'm in too. I'm in. I'm, I'm in, in too. Totally in. Once, here, here was the problem. I was not happy when everybody was like four and four. And yeah, we're now just we have a, good teams. No, They're no, that's what I'm saying. Teams. I'm saying now we have identified like the seven and two, six and three teams. I'm just like, yes. Even though it's the Rams and the Vikings and the Saints. Yes. In. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pumped about this one, too. If we got watching this game, guys, I mean, I, I, seriously, watch for that kind of stuff. Watch out what the Eagles do in the run game, because it's not like a lot of other teams. They Other teams pull, but they the Eagles pull the center so much and Brandon Brooks moves really well. It's very cool to watch and it's very unique. It's part of why they've been so good this year. And now that Ajayi is going to be playing pretty much full time, but he's their running back now. It becomes even more devastating. I mean, this team is really good. OK, moving on to the Falcons and Seahawks. I thought it was interesting. Ethan Young from NFL.com posted a really interesting stat that essentially uh, the Seahawks use more press coverage than all but one team in the NFL. Um, Richard Sherman is out. Julio Jones is one of the best, if not the best, wide receiver against press coverage in the entire NFL. So you get in a situation where the Seahawks are either going to have to change their scheme on the fly or try to play press coverage with less talent against Julio Jones, try to figure it out on the fly. The Eagles or the Falcons last year, they're the way they kind of combated Seattle, especially in the playoffs was that they put Julio in the slot, essentially dared Richard yep. Sherman to move in there with him because it's not what Richard Sherman does. Well, he wants to push you against the sideline and, suffocate you essentially so now you just kind of take that off the table now julio is no longer this piece you want to necessarily put in to special situations he can just be julio jones and julio jones is pretty good julio jones is good do you have that exclusively yes i i, I heard it from someone 
<laughs> you got that? You got a source yeah, was, on it, that it, one? It was, yeah, it was, it was a little... Uh, that's my own nugget that so, I'm dropping this week. I think it's interesting because the Seahawks are a, situ- are, are a team where their situation is significantly worse than the record. Yeah, trending down when it seems like all the other, these other teams are kind of getting healthy. You're damn right they're trending down. Yeah. I mean, they don't have Richard Sherman. Cam Chancellor, I have no idea what's going on there. There's all sorts of rumors that he's seriously hurt. Basically, they've the players have ruled him out, if you listen to Bob Condotta of the Seattle Times. But the Seahawks have not ruled him out. For, I'm talking about this week specifically. Yeah. Um, and so these are, they're still doing tests or whatever. Like Jesus, I, I have the Seahawks injury report no is just a, just a nightmare. Earl Thomas, <laughs> I guess, is back this week. But, I mean, it's... it's I, I don't know how the Seahawks manage this because their defense and Russell Wilson were the two things that were going to cover up all of their flaws and right now they don't have their defense. Russell Wilson, do you know that Russell Wilson is accounting for a higher percentage of his team's yards than any player in the Super Bowl era right now? When the Seahawks were like looking like they were going to go 11 and 5 and be a very real playoff team, that's why I was like, yeah, Russell Wilson should be in the MVP conversation. Hell yeah, like the he team should. couldn't exist without Russell Wilson. <laughs> like the Eagles would not be as good without Carson Wentz, but it's be like, eh, you know, like, we'll figure it out. The, the, the Seahawks could just stop the season if Russell Wilson got hurt. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, how many things have they innovated in the last five years, right? The Seahawks. My guess is they would innovate just stopping the season if Russ Wilson got hurt. <laughs> Pete Carroll would be like, that's just, not, the league. that's just not what we do here. That's not we, We've <laughs> talked about it. We practice it on Wednesdays. It's called No Wilson Wednesdays. And when we all have Russell Wilson, we we uh, file a petition and we quit the league. Uh, he and he would say it just with a straight face. He yeah, would oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. We met with uh, with 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 the league office last week and we talked about it. Just chewing the hell out of that gum all <laughs> all at the same time. The Seahawks injury report is is terrifying. So on defense, they uh, guys that did not practice on Thursday: Dwayne Brown, Cam Chancellor, Deron Reed, Michael Wilhoit, which you know, and Michael Bennett. <laughs> Yeah, Michael Bennett. So you're gonna want all, him. Yeah, those guys are all pretty good. And even if they're playing at like eighty percent, the Falcons' offense hasn't been good this year, but they still got some players on there. Also, Dwayne Brown. He doesn't play defense, but he's important. Oh yeah, Dwayne Brown, the guy they traded for to mask all of the offensive line flaws, is also hurt. So what do we think? What do we think? I mean, do you think that watching Atlanta last week, do you feel better about them? Do you feel like this is a situation where they can? knock off Seattle with the way they're kind yeah. of struggling right now. And like, I mean, and what do we think about the Falcons? I mean, you said you're not worried about the Cowboys necessarily in the wild card race. I mean, no, I, I didn't say Atlanta that. Do this. So I, I want to, I want to refocus the Cowboys thing. It's not that I'm not worried about them. It's not that I think they're going to absolutely make the playoffs because I actually wouldn't. You bet, just don't think I this wouldn't week bet is on the that. deal breaker. I would just say that they have a pretty easy stretch after this week to where they might win three in a row after this. The Cowboys have the Chargers, Redskins, Giants, Raiders. I don't think any of those are automatic losses. And I think that maybe the Eagles game, even though it's at home, I mean, that that, that might be, you might want to maybe write that one off, okay? And so what I'm saying is that, that just when you look at the NFC wild card, you know, let's say we give one to the Panthers, who are at 7-3. and three. I mean, are the Seahawks... In such a good position, they're going to run away with this. No, are the Lions or the Packers going to run away with this? No. So it becomes It'd be so bizarre if yeah. the Seahawks were the team that fell out of the wild card race. I understand. I mean, I don't. But I mean, I, we have to look at the situation as it currently is, 
and they're missing a lot of talent. Those things yeah. stack up. And so th- that, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying the Cowboys are going to make the playoffs automatically. No, I'm just saying no matter what happens this week, it's going to be a really messy conclusion on, on, on who gets that final wildcard spot. And hell, I'm, I, I, guess the, I guess the Panthers are, are definitely going to make the playoffs, right? I mean, it seems like we're trending that direction. Um, I mean, literally, I, it, it, I feel like I'm in a coma fantasy. The only things I, I'm sure of in the NFC are that the Saints running game is going to get them there. Number one in rushing EVOA. Case Keenum's good enough. <laughs> Jared, Jared Goff is Jared good. Goff is, is going to be in the top five of the MVP race and that the Eagles are a juggernaut. And that yeah. we just floated Doug Peterson versus Sean McVay coach of the year battle. Let's do this, man. I'm ready. Seattle's 20th in passing DVOA against number one receivers. And I feel like that is already a bad situation and now Richard Sherman doesn't exist. So it might not be too fun. You're going to want Richard Sherman. <laughs> I was looking at the tape earlier this week. And, this is the uh, you see the next nugget. You're going yeah, 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 yeah. huh? to want him yeah. on the field. You're going to want him on the field. So, Do you know who's number two in rushing DVOA, which I found fascinating? It's like the sec- probably the last um, team you'd ever think of. Hold on, Green hold on. Bay. Oh, I was going to guess. I wasn't going to guess Green Bay. So weird. And like they're usually better than you think just because teams with good quarterbacks typically have efficient running games. I mean, that's always been the case. And you think about some of those Broncos and Patriots teams, they were always up there. But the fact that the Packers have gotten better on the ground, even though Aaron Rodgers isn't playing, is, is very weird. Again, the bizarro NFC. Welcome. It's, the water is warm. Did you see that uh, Alvin Kamara is only going against eight-man boxes 20% of the time? That's how it works when Drew Brees is your quarterback. No, I know. I know. And that's why I think everyone talks about, oh, Drew Brees, you know, is playing complimentary role or whatever. It's like, no, man, Drew Brees is still is still the thing defenses are scared of. It's not a complimentary role. It's he's throwing the ball less. That's it. No, I no, mean, I like, know, I know. Drew Brees is still no. the best thing about that offense. I, of course he, and, and, and he will be until he dies. Which is going to be never. That's true. He's going to be throwing for 4,500 yards in 2062. All right. Patriots at Raiders. It's in Mexico City. Yeah, which is fun. Is it? Yeah. I, I like that I game love last Mexico year. City. I wish I was there. I actually had a dream last night that I was in Mexico City. It was very weird. I, I was probably related to this because I was just talking to somebody who works for the Raiders about the fact that he was going down there. So synapses always fired in weird ways. So I love Mexico City and I love Mexico City more than this game. What do you think about Oakland at this point? <laughs> do we know? I mean, like it just... No. Did, it, they're kind of in a similar boat to Tennessee for me. It was just like, eh, okay. Like, I, I just don't, I have no, no faith that the Patriots are not going to score 45 points in this game and win for like 45 to 21. No, that's, that's my thought. That's my thought. And it's so crazy how fast we got from the Raiders being like the trendy contender so, pick against New England in the, in this conference to like, do we think the Raiders have a chance against the Patriots? I just, I just have a, a general question, and I'm hoping you can answer it because I can't figure it out. What do the Raiders do well? That there is no, there's no answer to that, and that's the strangest part. You assumed coming into this season, well, I guess they keep Derek Carr clean. Like that's the one thing they do well because he throws the ball like half a second after receiving it every single play. Like, that's the one thing they do well. They don't get their quarterback sacked. That's pretty much the end of the list. I, right. I don't know where else you would go. I mean, the offense has been good. It, it's been more efficient as of late. I, I think that that's that's probably what you can say. I mean, they do move the ball 
pretty well, but not good enough when your defense is that poor. It's right. just, I don't know. It's when, when I say what do they do well, obviously their their offensive line is, is famously good, but that's just a vessel to do something else good. And they're not yeah, doing and that. Good. And their offense is good. I mean, their their yeah. offensive efficiency is is much better than it has seemed at times this year. Like the overall product, you know, has kind of just come out in the wash. Is like, all right, they're fine. They have too much talent not to be. But it still just doesn't feel like they're able to make up for how bad that defense is. The un, they're an uneven team in a year very full uneven. of teams that aren't very uneven. They and the Patriots are, but the Patriots offense is good enough to make up for its defense. Did you see that um, PFF tweeted this out? Amari Cooper is historically good in the slot this season. That's interesting. Why don't you put him in there more? Let's do that. I think it's just a little interesting thought there. Maybe the Todd Downing, we have some notes for Todd Downing. You know, we talk, I mean, the Raiders, the Raiders have gotten better on offense. You definitely. And, and it seems like, you know, we talked about this with teams after the first, like, four to six weeks of the season, how yeah. it takes a while to get used to things. Todd Downing never been offense coordinator before. I mean, there's a chance this kind of just settles in oh, down the stretch. Just to be clear... They knew that, and they still jettisoned their offensive coordinator. Was of course. I know Bill Musgrave. He's not Chip Kelly, but he did have experience, and he was an offensive coordinator. And they fired him just to promote Downing. FYI, correct. So go ahead. They made that choice. They I'm made just the saying choice. That, yeah. I mean, like that. That those two things can both be true. They could have known that was that he was going to be. A first-time offensive coordinator, and they could still have wanted him to be their offensive coordinator. I mean, like that—that's not surprising to me. That's okay. I mean, like it, it's—they wanted a different version of their offense, and they—they they got that different version apparently. But it took a while for him to settle in. I think that, that so, was always going to happen. I think the biggest issue. First of all, did you know the Raiders are the first team in history to not have received an interception through nine weeks? Yeah, their defense is awful. Like, how like do the, you do how, that? How much they? How the do you? How do you feel? Do they not have eleven players in the field all the time? Maybe that's it. Maybe we just have. Is this a simple math problem? How do you have eleven people out there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of snaps over the first nine weeks of the season, and at no point does the ball come to you? I played flag football when I was in middle school. I played tackle football when I was in high school, but I played linebacker in flag football, and I was terrible. I was awful. But like twice that season, a ball just came to me because I was standing in the middle of the field, and that's football. And sometimes and the someone, quality of the players in that middle school flag football league, the quarterbacks, is probably pretty similar to the guys we've watched on Sunday this year. Don't they play Tom yeah. Savage? Doesn't that happen? I guess not. I mean, they they're playing the Giants in two weeks. You talk about middle school flag football. <laughs> there we go. That's that's their shot. Oh man. I mean, yeah. they, they played the Dolphins. They could have done that. Played the Broncos. They played the Jets. They get Brock Osweiler in two weeks, which that's probably the Brock Osweiler, Eli Manning kind of back-to-back doubleheader there. I think that's their shot. If they can't pick off either one of those guys, it's probably time to just cancel the Raiders season. To shut it down? Yeah. Just like the Seahawks and the Raiders are just like, nah, we're done. Wow. All right. The Patriots are good. Yeah, I mean, what else? What else do we want to say? I mean, they're the number one offense in the league. I mean, they're going against the worst defense in the league. The Patriots are going to score a bunch of points and win this game. <laughs> Belichick <laughs> analysis. Belichick had them practice at Air Force, and he just spent the whole time talking about the military. Again, in things that are not shocking, <laughs> like uh, how much fun do you think Bill Belichick's having in Mexico? None. Yeah, I think that's the answer. 
All right, time for my hottest take, I actually kind of believe. This is a Lombardi take, and I'm just going to take it. The Cowboys just have to, have to move on from Jason Garrett. Right? Robert? It's fine with me. Are you there? Are you yeah, there for I'm my here. take? I, I, are you there for my take? Yeah, I, uh, I don't have a problem with that. You know, I think a lot of times when you have a lot of talent, Dallas had a lot of talent throughout Jason Garrett's tenure, you have to be able to judge a coach on what he does when he has less talent because, you know, the real the reason we know college football coaches will be successful or soccer coaches will be successful is because they take a lesser talented team and they bring them up into the forefront of the sport. Look at Urban Meyer at, at, at Utah. You know, he'd be all of a sudden he's playing in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, look at, you know, Literally hundreds of soccer managers in the NFL. It's hard to do that because there's always a baseline of talent, and so you have to judge a coach when they don't have that. In the rare moments where okay, they they have to improvise, they have to take to make something out of nothing, and they took something in Jason Garrett, and they're turning it into nothing. I mean, I thought that that Falcons game was as bad a coaching job as I've seen. I mean, how do you did they not know this was going to happen? You, how long did you have to plan? I know that there's so many variables as far as, okay, when is he going to get suspended? Um, what is the team going to look like at that point? But they've known since training camp that at some point, you know, just by virtue of, of how the NFL disciplinary process works, that when a six-game suspension is handed down, that it's eventually going to be served. That's the way NFL discipline works. You can delay it with stays. You can um, even delay it a year in Tom Brady's situation. But at some point, it's going to happen. Can we get a better plan? This actually goes into my what are we missing this week point. So part of this issue and the biggest part of this issue was what they did with Tyron Smith last week. Yep. The fact that you have your left tackle on an island because when Tyron Smith is your left tackle, that's what you do. Jeff Schwartz, who is a very good Twitter follower, if you do not, he played in the league for a long time as an offensive lineman, made a very interesting point. So the game plans are in by Friday. They ruled out Tyron Smith on Saturday. So they didn't want to change things because by helping your left tackle with whatever sort of chips and tight ends and everything else, it affects the route combination timing, all that stuff. Makes total sense. We know Tyron Smith is not playing. Byron Bell is going to be the left tackle for the Cowboys. Are they going to do the same crap or are they going to actually help him? And I feel like there's a lot of ways they can help him in this game that have more than one implication. So if they do use more tight ends and more base formations it's going to have a double kind of two-pronged effect. One, it helps Byron Bell out on that side. And that's what they need to do because Byron Bell is probably better than Chaz Green, but I don't know how, by how much. So just by virtue of having more bodies over there, you're going to help your left tackle. Two, the Eagles are most dangerous and that league-leading pressure rate that you talked about is derived in part by what they do with the nickel rush packages they get on the field. Vinny Curry has not been a pass rusher this year. And this no. is not something they've really done from him on the edge. They bring Derek Barnett in in those situations. So if you're lining up with two to three tight ends, if it's you know, 12 personnel, 13 personnel all game for Dallas in order to help their left tackle, you're also keeping the the Eagles' best pass rush patches off the field. So I think that's probably what has to happen because you want Vinnie Curry on the field and not Derek Barnett. I mean, that, that's just what the Eagles are right now. So if you can manipulate them formationally while also giving Bell some help, you give yourself a better chance. The Eagles have 53 more pressures than any other team in the NFL this year. And Fletcher Cox missed like three games, by the way. I mean, when you can line up from left to right, 
Barnett, Fletcher Cox, Timmy Jernigan, Chris Long. You doing all right. I've never said this in my life, typed it or said it out loud, but the Eagles are going to eat. I mean, I think that they probably will. They're going to eat. That's what's going to happen. Oh, excuse me. I forgot Brandon Graham. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's where that's where the Eagles are right now. That is that's where the Eagles are as a pass rushing unit. I forgot Brandon Graham, who's one of like the three or four best edge players in the league. Oh, that's great. Again, this is kind of similar to the point I was making about Demarcus Lawrence and uh, Lane Johnson earlier, and yeah. that Brandon Graham does not usually line up on the right side outside, so he's not going to be the one to take advantage of. Uh, Byron Bell, if they do leave him out on an island. It's a weird, like, pass rush situation. We have so many good guys playing on the right side that what we normally think about on the offense's right side, what we normally think about pass rush matchups has kind of changed in recent years. That's not new, but it just every week it seems like it comes up again. All I remember about Byron Bell in his, in his, uh, story non, nondescript ten- Panthers, Panthers tenure. A couple of years ago, I wrote a story about how the Nike jerseys, when they switched to Nike, they were just way too tight and all the players hated them. Like, so the fat players hated them. Yeah. And the art was just Byron Bell just overflowing in his jersey. And I always felt bad about that. <laughs> Maybe you're the one that helped Brian, Byron Bell lose weight. Byron, you were, you were Byron Bell's Pat, Pat Shermer. Shermer. I was his Pat Shermer. Okay. Uh, I can't believe I forgot Brandon Graham. That's incredible. Like that, that really is the state of the Eagles defense. They're good. I mean, uh, Timmy Jernigan getting paid. I loved the move when they did it. I mean, this is like something well, I they, saw they from got, 100 got, miles when away. When they gave him the extension or him being when good? When they traded for him. Yeah. I mean, just like this dude is going to be awesome in this defense. He, he two-gapped his entire time in Baltimore. That's what they do with those guys. And to go into Jim Schwartz's defense and just be like, okay, go ahead. Like, he hadn't done that since high school. He and I'm I talked just glad, about it in Philly. I'm just glad there's just so much talent in Baltimore, roster talent, that I'm just glad they, they got rid of Jernigan. That's, that is a defensible move. I'm kidding. I mean, like the Michael Pierce, Brandon no, Williams no, 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 situation no, no. in Baltimore kidding. is tenable. No, I know. I'm just saying, I'm... Whenever I go to Baltimore, I have a conversation with some of the, the guys there and just say, who are the best players in this team? And it's always tough to to name more than four or five guys. Um, you know, just, I mean, it's always like a defensive tackle that's going right. to get one sack. I mean, <laughs> if you're the Ravens, couldn't you have done better than just a pick swap? Yeah, it was equivalent of like a sixth round pick. Again, I love the trade when it happened. I, I made my feelings very known about this. For the Eagles. Yes, for the Eagles. Yes. It's like, this is an awesome idea. They gave up 25 picks of draft position. In the third round. Yeah. Yeah. What does the draft chart say about that? It says Timmy Jernigan's really good. It's, and it says he was worth the extension he just got. He was probably worth a sixth-round pick. Again, I, 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 get, I forgot Brandon Graham. That's how good the Eagles defensive line is. Okay, coming up, Danny Kelly is going to give fantasy fans a reason to watch some of the other less sexy games this week. Plus, we'll predict next week's headlines. But first, a quick break. Kevin, what's the biggest thing you worry about when buying tools? I think it's going to be who's going to use these tools to build something for me. Yeah, that's what I also think. Okay, that's fair. What's the second thing, though? How long will these tools last is probably the second thing. Exactly, but not if you buy Husky brand tools from Home Depot. Their tools are all about function, but they're also built to stand the test of time. Husky is a great brand. I'm reading here they've been around for 93 years, which is before television was invented. It's true, and they're still making quality-crafted, durable tools with a lifetime warranty. 
We were talking about this 100 position Husky ratchet last week. It's 10% longer than standard ones, so you can ratchet a lot more things with it. Love ratcheting, or the virtually unbreakable Husky flashlight with the ability to withstand a 30-foot drop and work in up to one meter of water submersion, which is nice because I do most of my handiwork near cliffs. Both are guaranteed for life and built to last that long. Learn more at www.huskytools.com. Husky, common sense tools since 1924, with hand tools guaranteed for a lifetime. Found only at the Home Depot. We're also brought to you by MyBookie, the best place to make bets and get some extra cash for the holidays. The holidays bring tons of big football, basketball, and hockey games, so you can score big every day. And MyBookie is the place to cash in on your sports predictions. It's your hookup for all of your betting needs and offers super fast payouts when you win. If you want to make more money betting games this holiday season, go to MyBookie.ag because where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. They have the odds on every matchup on a mobile site that makes wagering on your smartphone very easy. Now look at that. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. Use the promo code RINGERNFL to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Time to welcome in Danny Kelly, our fantasy football genius. Danny, it's been three days since we discussed openly that your nickname is <laughs> is Danner. Was Danner. How yeah. has your life changed in those three days, Danny? Uh, people just come up to you on the street and just called you Danner? It has not caught on as much as, as, as you think you guys wanted it to. You're going to have to work a little bit harder, but um, are we trying to actually what officially change it? I'm not totally Danner's sure Dark we thought Nights. it was going to catch on because it's a bad nickname. <laughs> it's a terrible nickname. You want it to be Danner's Dark Nights, I think, is what's what's happening here. That was Mallory Rubin's idea. <laughs> Danner's Dark Nights. I mean, I'm for it. I like it. I don't think you do. Okay. Your fantasy <laughs> sleeper pick. I mean, you're taking over this fan- fantasy segment. It's unbelievable how popular these have become. Today, we're going to do it a little different. <laughs> He's such a good, such a good lead there. Uh, I'm sorry. That was just really funny. <laughs> when I first met Kevin, he says everything in the exact same tone. So there were times where I didn't know if he was like giving me shit about something or just trying oh, to be like a very here. earnest, nice person. <laughs> But there, yeah, now I can I tell to you, understand how to no, read it, and I, it's really fun. I can tell you which one it is, and it's, <laughs> it's not it's not the former. Um, oh man! It's uh, the first time Mays and I ever met. Mays had to send me an apology note because uh, he offended the 2009 Magic. <laughs> That's a hundred percent. That is a hundred percent a true story. <laughs> to be fair. The Classic first time Maze and I met, he had to send me an apology note is pretty much 96% true. <laughs> it just depends on what it is. I've developed a form letter by now. It's like, Man. dear participant, <laughs> I apologize for my, for my actions over the past 24 hours. He said something about the 09 magic, and I just I was just like, okay, this conversation uh, is over. And then uh, he sent me an email the next day. He's like, listen, I love the 09 magic. I really did. I really, I'm sorry if I offended you, Kevin. I'm glad we were able to work through it. Um, there's so few things that offend me. With slander on the 2009 matchup. <laughs> All right, Danny, we give Yo. you a matchup. You give us a dark night from that matchup. That's what we're yeah. doing this week. These are dark <laughs> matchups, so we really need you to find a hero in them. Okay. <laughs> it's All a right. bad week down those, you know, down at the bottom of the slate. Bucks at Dolphins. All right, so my guy in this game is Jay and- Cutler. <laughs> I'm not. Hey, I'm not kidding. I was going to offer him as an alternative. Have you seen his numbers the last three games? No. no. Here, Cutler in his last three games, let me double check this, but he has 
Seven touchdowns, two interceptions, 106 rating, and 71% completion rate. Jay Cutler. My favorite thing about Jay Cutler related this week is that I'm not trying to pick on Joe Shad here, but Joe Shad wrote about how Cutler needs to start setting his feet and work on his mechanics in the pocket. It's like, guys. That's never happening. It's 2017. <laughs> <laughs> we were having this conversation a decade ago. Jay uh, Cutler's making $10 million. He's never playing football again after December 31st. You think Jay Cutler gives a shit about what his mechanics look like right now? Like, it's just an incredible thing that we've been doing this for a decade. I, think it'd be I love funny. it so much. I think it would be funny if Jay Cutler asked for like a four-year extension. <laughs> <laughs> And then guess what would happen? In 2021, it'd be week eight. Color would throw a really bad interception the week before, and someone would say, you know, feet. Jay's really got to work on setting his feet. <laughs> wow. Who is your actual Dark Knight in this game, Danny? I'm going with Kenyon Drake in this one. And this is, I mean, it's tough because Miami's got a running back by committee. And he and, and Drake hasn't gotten a ton of volume, but he he does seem to me like he's the big play guy in that, in that group. Um, last week, he broke off a big touchdown run. Uh, and he's actually been a factor in the passing game. I think he's got eight targets and 45 yards for the last two games. Um, so he's, I think he's a guy that could go off. And I, I've been basically just been all over anyone who faces the Buccaneers defense this year. I know they're getting a little bit healthier, but I mean, you're still just that, that, that to me is a meaty matchup. And I think it, if you're going to go with anyone in that group, it's Kenyon Drake. I, I was, uh, I think I endorsed uh, Devontae Parker earlier in the year. So I didn't want to double up, but he, is another guy that could potentially be an option, but I'm going with Kenyon Drake for my dark night on this one. I was doing that. Uh, I wrote about Jalen Ramsey this week for the ringer.com and part of just Jalen Ramsey's history is how good of an athlete he's always been. So at the 2012 Nike football spark combine in Atlanta, he got fifth, even though he was a year younger than everyone there. Kenyon wow. Drake won. Some of these guys are really? really good athletes from the time they're like 17. If you can oh, imagine man. it. Well, that makes yeah. me feel even better about that. I didn't there know you that. Go, buddy. Kenyon Drake, always good at football explosive yeah so that's i mean these are wasteland these are fantasy wasteland games but that's that's my pick for that one i mean he's that big playability is necessary i think it, especially at this point in the season where so many of these fantasy rosters are just depleted i mean we the right. you should have seen the waiver wire in my league this week in my it's keeper sad. league people are dropping like people are picking up like Bortles. like it just like it's gotten really ugly this season so kenyon drake being able to score 70 yard touchdown is the kind Who of stuff you're looking Blake for Bortles? right now Oh, uh, I mean, it's, I can't remember. It, it, our league is, I have four quarterbacks. Like, just, just to the be league clear, is very weird. Just to be so clear. It's pretty ble- like bleak at the bottom. You're hoarding quarterbacks. Right that's before that's we came why you on do the it. air. So guys have to pick up Blake Bortles. <laughs> right, right, right before we came on the air, one of Danny's friends, we were informed, has has tried to correct our grammar on something. And now one of Maze's friends has picked up Blake Bortles. What kind of lives are you guys living? <laughs> I mean, I'm living a terrible one. I was I never said anything to the contrary. Okay. <laughs> I just I wanted to check in with you great. guys. I wanted to check in and make sure everything was okay. It's not, but okay. again, I can't believe you expected it to be. Danny, Jaguars or Browns? Yeah, so this is uh, another great, two, another two great offenses here. Um <laughs> Obviously, it's supposed to be. It's going to be even worse, probably than normal, because I think it's supposed to be like it's really not, windy. It and it's going to be worse than normal. <laughs> it's supposed to snow too, right? Like, I mean, it's going to be bad. Yeah. Snowy. I, th- I saw like thirty-five mile an hour winds. Uh, so you know, obviously, I think Deshaun Kaiser's, you know, step forward last week was encouraging and all that. But now you're going against the best pass defense in the NFL, and it's going to be snowy and windy. So for that, for those two reasons, I'm going with Isaiah Crowell. 
I think he's looked pretty good the last couple of weeks. He's got uh, 27 carries, 154 yards, 5.7 yards per carry and two touchdowns in the last two games. And these are against Minnesota and Detroit, pretty good defenses. Um, so I think, I think the Browns are going to have basically no choice but just to run the ball as much as possible. I don't see Kaiser doing much against that Jags pass defense, especially That's what in that weather. You should weather. do. I mean, yeah. there's you shouldn't throw the. They shouldn't attempt a single pass against the Jaguars. <laughs> it's just not necessary. It, it, it's yeah. a f- really futile thing. <laughs> this Browns passing game against this Jaguars pass defense ends poorly. I know. I can't see a way that they can do anything versus that. So. Even if they're losing, I think they have really basically no choice but to run. We'll see if, it, you know, the Jags' run defense has picked up a lot since they got Marcel Darius. Um, but I still think that's the only way that they can probably win this game. So 100% that's agree. why I'm making on Crowell. Did you guys see what Tayshawn Gibson said this week? <laughs> that the Browns are going to go over the yeah. yeah, I mean, just, just really great. I'm a big fan of the Jaguars' secondary. If uh, yeah, it, it's kind of a cottage industry to say that the Browns are going to go 0-16. Like people everybody say says next, it all the time. People say their next chance to win a football game is probably against the Jaguars, which probably ain't going to happen. That's definitely they're going. To, they're probably going to finish 0 16. So you look at things like that, man. It's, it's just a blessing to be able to get out of that situation and come to a situation like this, where you know where winning feels like, <laughs> which is Jacksonville in this situation. <laughs> okay, the Browns have the Bengals, they have the Bears, they have the Ravens. They could beat the Bears. They have the Chargers. No, I know. I mean, I'm I'm actually seeing a couple. I'm re- I'm actually ready to. I'm see- the schedule. I'm just ready to put the Browns in the wild card hunt. <laughs> the AFC, they're <laughs> yeah, still in it. They're just still <laughs> in the wild card hunt. All right, Danny, what's your next game? All right, we got Ravens at Packers, and again, this the first thing that came to my mind in this, and Maze, you maybe appreciate this, is who do you have faith in more here, Hunley or Flacco? I don't know what that says about Flacco. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh my god! That's all we have time for on the Ring Run NFL show. No. I, I mean, it's I, a guy. I honestly, don't have an answer for you. That's amazing. I, the, thank I you think, for doing that, Danny. I, we've already had a lot of fun today, but I, I needed that little oh extra my boost. God. I think that oh, I think no. it's actually worse for Hundley, and I mean that should be obvious because the Ravens' defense is really pretty good still, and I don't know. I, I just can't see Hundley doing much in the air. So. um I, I'm going over with I'm going with the Ravens guy. I'm going with Macklin. That's my that's my dark night for this game. He's kind of back. He's healthy, um, and the Packers' pass defense hasn't been that great lately. He's gonna he's gonna be lining up in the slot versus Demarius Randall. I think a lot. Randall struggled, um, and I think uh, he's just he's let's see here. Macklin's seen at least five targets in the last six games, so he's kind of he, he's kind of been their number one guy or one of their top guys. He's I still think he's a really, really good player. Even even though Flacco, I have basically less than no faith in at this point. I just think Macklin's going to see enough targets to make a difference. And so, again, this is God. This is like a fantasy wasteland game. But these all are, buddy. Yeah, it's not great. All right, Dan, Danner. Yeah. Uh, Bills and Chargers. Bills and Chargers. Okay, so Philip Rivers. He's I don't know. He's probably going to play. He might not play. Even Keenan Allen is, I don't think he's a, even a sure thing at this point. Kelvin Benjamin. I'm not ready. I've been ready for everything this season. I'm ready for the fucking Jaguars to be good. I'm ready for this Jared Goff shit. I'm not ready for Philip Rivers missing a start. Yep. That, that's how <laughs> you know that we've just gone into an entirely different dimension. It makes me super uncomfortable. Is he second behind Eli? Right now, Philip Rivers has never missed a start since he started. As the, since he became the starting quarterback wow. for the Chargers, he's never missed a start. God, that includes impressive. the playoffs where so, he played on a torn ACL. 
Also, did Eli wow. Manning really start some of those games? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, Anybody like, there's some of those games where it was just like, nah, he's not here. <laughs> so true. Okay, so for the Chargers, we kind of got like a running back by committee now with uh, Austin Eckler. He's kind of broken out and, and he yeah, looked really good. I know. He's a Melvin Gordon fantasy owner. I know. Yeah. So my advice for this game, and this is kind of me going out on this ledge, but I'm sticking with Melvin Gordon. I still think he's going to have more that volume. Nice. Um, I think he's still going to be their number one guy. I think they're probably going to try to make Eckler like a third round, a third down pass catching guy. He's very explosive. He's another, I think, spark guy. That's what used to happen with the Chargers is that when Woodhead was there, Gordon just did not catch passes. And then last year after Woodhead got hurt, they just kept Melvin Gordon on the field the entire year. All the, all the time. Right. So Wizenhunt is back there. I mean, this is, we've seen this before with usage and Chargers running backs. I know it's a departure from what we've seen over the last year, but traditionally they have wanted to do it that way. Yeah. And so here, and so he may not get as much, he's not, he may not be as valuable in the PPR style stuff, but the Bills have given up like 492 yards rushing in the last two games, like almost 500 yards rushing. Their, their, their run defense has been atrocious. And so that to me is something that you can take advantage of that. That makes him an attractive starting option, even though I think Eckler is going to have a bigger role. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's it's a risk, but I'm sticking with Gordon on this one. Last one. Last one. Very exciting game. Bengals Broncos. So I guess we're assuming that Brock Osweiler is going to be the starter in this one for the Broncos. Hell yeah. Um I don't trust anybody other than AJ Green on the Bengals offense. I think even Mixon has struggled in terms of their run game. It's just been bad. And I don't know what's going on with the Broncos defense, but I kind of have a little bit of faith that they'll start to try and figure it out. There's just too much talent on that defense. So I'm going with the Broncos guy. I'm going with Emmanuel Sanders on this one. He's another guy. He's back. He's he's back to being like full health. Like he had six catches, 137 yards. Um, seems like he's got a pretty good chemistry going with Osweiler. Uh, I don't trust anyone in that running back group. CJ and Jamal Charles and Devonte Booker are all split uh, splitting carries. And so it's like, that is hard to bank on anything there. So for me, the dark night for this one, Sanders. And I mean, again, it's just, you either go with, uh, you either go with AJ green or Emmanuel Sanders in this one, obviously Demarius Thomas is another option, but those are two, I think they're a little bit too obvious for this. So we'll go with Sanders. This is, I know that this was like a kind of a joke that we picked like the worst games and had Danny find a fantasy option in all of them. This really is, it does speak to what the NFL in 2017 is because people will be watching these games because they will have to start these guys. Right. I and mean, I know it's, I know it's kind of a joke, but like it really is a serious thing where when there are so many just crappy teams, this is what drives interest, which is fascinating to me. Gambling and fantasy. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I mean, like it really does. That's like, why people have impact. That's why people who who say and we all like all sports here, but people are like, oh, the NBA is going to pass football in X, Y, Z year. It's it's real hard to drop below a certain floor in football just because of the fantasy and gambling aspect of it. Yeah, I trust me. I will be watching Melvin Gordon on Sunday. I need him to play well. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. All Danny, right. Thanks, buddy. Danny. Appreciate right. you. Thanks, guys. All right, before we get out of here, we're going to predict our next week's biggest headline. Robert, go ahead. I, I don't know if NSL, I mean, they could absolutely lose because they're playing a very good Minnesota team. But I just have this feeling that we could be sitting here on Monday and there could be conversations going on about, are the Rams the best team in football? Yep. Which is 
just super bizarre. And we, we've talked about it all show, but that is a world that I don't know if I'm ready for. I mean, they're number one in DVOA overall. And I think that that's helped in part by the fact that their special teams are number one. Like they just do everything well, but they're number one in defense. They're number one in special teams. Their offense 11th, I believe. I mean, what this team is right now is just incredible and, and what they've done in a single year. And if they can go in and beat Minnesota, they can hang you know 28 on the Vikings. This is a real conversation. I mean, I know the Eagles have played excellent, but the fact that the Rams would even be close to that status is mind boggling. But I think that we're, we're getting there this week. Definitely put it over the edge. I actually don't think they're that well positioned for that sort of momentum as far as the narrative goes this week, because the Eagles play on primetime. Oh, and that's I, true. I, I think the Eagles might beat the crap out of the Cowboys. Yeah, that's a good point. But if they beat New Orleans next week. Right. Yeah. That's that's where it gets into it. That's and a so good that, point. That, that's so I have two. I, I do think that the Goodell Jones war, um, which was further um exposed on Friday by by the ESPN story, which was yeah, really good. If you, I mean obviously I haven't read it yet. You I have not, haven't read it yet? No, not yet. The, the too long didn't read is that Jerry Jones is just I, I like Seth. Seth is a friend of mine. I like his work. I will read it. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to Seth earlier today. It was it's uh, Jerry Jones is um, is reaching peak Jerry Jones. That's the too long didn't read. Good stuff. Um, okay, so I think that's gonna be a big thing. But listen, so I think generally, I think I think the team most positioned to get a huge narrative push this week, and it won't be as best team in the NFL, but it'll just be like a hey, this team is is for real, for real. Even I think a lot of us in the football media, people who watch a lot of football, have bought into uh, the Saints, but I feel like nationally, everyone's a little slow. I think if they go out and beat the crap out of the Redskins, then you set up next week, and that's exactly what we're talking about, Saints versus Rams. I think that's what people are saying. This is a matchup to determine, but you know, not only a, a buy, but I mean, just a... a, a Maybe the best team in football. I, I think that's. I think. The, awesome. <laughs> I think the New Orleans Saints are a really freaking good team. We talked about it earlier. Just the the how complimentary their backs are because Ingram and Kamara do different things. The fact they're never going to be running into eight man boxes because they have Drew Brees, who's still going to throw. You know the analogy I made in in my column. On Friday with Breeze, people are, are talking about you know quarterbacks who took a reduced role or whatever. You know, he's not Peyton Manning 2015. He's not That's exactly the point I made on New Orleans radio yesterday. He's not dead. And um, John Elway, uh, mid 90s, went through a, a, a span of four seasons in which the Broncos never won more than nine games. Um, who does that sound like? Sounds like the seven and nine Drew Breeze era. Yeah, it it, it really does, and. That's what's so interesting about this is that Elway got in a situation where he just had to do less because they built a good team around him. And I'm not saying Breeze is going to win two straight Super Bowls like Elway did, but you know he's at least not going to go out on a seven and nine season. I think that's that's really important. And I'm fascinated. You know, you can usually find a pretty um, you can usually find a pretty close model if you look back at NFL history to some of these teams, and and I'm kind of looking at those Broncos teams. Uh, as, but the as fact this. that the defense got like this so fast is just so yeah, weird. it's amazing. I, I mean, the turnaround is amazing that you could do it in a year, and they remade it on the fly. I mean, they it's not as if this is some random element where we ping pong in defensive efficiency most seasons. That they really remade the entire unit personnel wise in a single season, and it's unbelievable work. Yeah. That's 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 the point of when defenses are so mediocre across the board, it only takes two or three guys. 
And that's what I wrote a couple weeks ago. We were in the we were in the facelift contender era of the NFL, and it's a fun place to be because it puts everybody in the hunt. I said that about the Saints in July. Anyway, that's it for today. We'll be back on Tuesday to recap NFL's Week 11. As always, thanks for listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. In 1924, Husky started making things for people who make things, and they did it with common sense. That meant adding function, never frills, and making tools that stand the test of time. 93 years later, Husky's still making quality, crafted, durable tools, including hand tools that are guaranteed for life. Learn more at www.huskytools.com. Husky Tools, found only at the Home Depot.